Amen. So as I said up front, so much to share um, with you from the back of our trip to Israel. We, we had uh, an amazing time. We obviously had a trip planned in 2020. But there were a whole bunch of you signed up to, to join us, and that was all canceled. And then um, we were starting to dream and plan another trip to, to, to um, you know, take a bunch of you guys over. And then we had an opportunity to join some friends of ours from Link Church, and they invited and us and also contributed towards a trip to make some of it possible, which was a, a real blessing. And we didn't know if we could make it work, uh, but it just actually happened to work very last minute and work really well. So we went over there and joined 40 of them from um, their church, Link Church in Belito. And what was also special, my two cousins were on that trip, the Slevens. So that was really special for us. And we were able just to go and receive because a lot of people had suggested before we lead a trip, obviously to receive yourself and receive we did. It was incredible. Um, I don't think I'm going to be able to communicate all that we took in. And I, I do think that Israel, you need to visit it a few times in your life because it's impossible to take it all in. There's so many places we didn't get to go and, and see. And uh, people even saying, did you go there? And we're like, no, we didn't. Did you go there? No, we didn't. So um, what's going to be nice as well when we end up leading this trip with the open skies, there will be a couple things that we um, are going to do that we didn't get to do. And we're just so excited. I don't know, but how many of you guys have been to Israel here? There's about like 10 of you. Um, I really pray and hope that at least once in your life that uh, many of you would get to go there. I know perhaps some of you won't, and I know it's resource dependent as well. But let me just tell you, if you put a dream in your heart, uh, you know, uh, I, I think all things are possible with God. So just don't, don't stop dreaming for something. You know, there's a guy called uh, Robbie Zonriga from uh, Australia, and he travels all around the world speaking. And he says he always meets people saying, oh, I've always wanted to go to Australia. And he says, no, you haven't. No, he says, no, no, really, I've always wanted to go to Australia. He says, no, you haven't. And people get irritated. He says, because if you've always wanted to go, you would have gone. And I know sometimes these things are resource dependent, but often we say this is, oh, I'm desperate to get to Israel, but then we don't make any intentional effort and planning towards us. So we're going to give you enough time. And if you are going, man, I would love to go, just start the dream. It might not be on this next one, but maybe one day you can go. Is that okay? So just keep dreaming, because let me tell you, it will make the scriptures come alive in a whole new way. Most of us in this room, I'd say probably all of us have read the Bible and read of places that Jesus went to, and you read of Jerusalem. And, but when you actually go stand there and see, um, it really is like HD. Some of you guys are growing up in the 60s, remember those black and white TVs with the fuzzy aerial, and you've got to get it right, and it's like, what, and you're trying to tune the channel, okay? And then all of a sudden, HD comes out, and you can see the sweat on the soccer player's head, you know? That's the only way I can describe it. It's like... It, it comes alive, and uh, now I've been there. So when I read the word, and I read of the place, I'm like, oh yes, and I have a visual of it. And I'm gonna hope uh, today that I can give you at least some visuals, because obviously I've got some pictures, as you know, I love to take photos and videos. But more than that, I'm hoping the heart and the message of what I'm gonna share today is gonna just pop out in a whole new way. And uh, I'm gonna speak about a character in the Bible that is mentioned a few times, but you probably have no idea or understanding of it. And I felt this to be the first, because it's pretty significant. And uh, over the next couple of weeks, we're gonna unpack a few stories. Are you excited? Because as you can tell, I'm excited, okay? So you're gonna, are, are you ready to receive a teaching today? Is that okay? Okay. So if you can, and there's a reason why I'm sitting. I do sometimes sit, but I'll tell you why in a moment. Um, Matthew 4, verse 23, if we can pull it up on the screen there. It says here, Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. I love that <laughs> wherever he went, he just healed diseases and illnesses. And we only just have a handful of the, the, the miracles and healings of Jesus. But wherever he went, he healed. They, they reckon there couldn't be enough libraries in the world to contain the amount of miracles that Jesus did. It was just everywhere he went. Um, so just to help us understand, when you read the Galilee region, you're like going, well, where is that? So just pull up a quick map of Israel. Um, you'll see here. So... Uh, to the left is uh, Tel Aviv, where it says Joppa, or Jaffa. Dead Sea's down at the bottom, towards the, um, the border of Egypt. And then up north is Galilee. And if we zoom into that, you'll see a little around the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus spent most of his life there, in, in that eight-kilometer stretch uh, from Tiberias. We actually stayed up to kind of Capernaum, is about eight Ks. That's where he did most of his 
uh, ministry. He did go to Jerusalem and other places, obviously, but that's where most of it was done. And the Sea of Galilee is actually 200 meters below sea level. It was quite strange to actually see that on my watch. You know, 200 meters below sea level. It's a freshwater lake, and it's fed by underground springs and also from the Jordan River, which comes in through the top and then runs through it into the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea, obviously, is called the Dead Sea because there's no out uh, a part of it, and it's just full of salt. Uh, we'll talk about that another time. But that uh, sea is about 21 kilometers long and only about 13 kilometers wide at its widest section. It's a lot smaller than I actually thought. 21 kilometers long and about 13 k's wide. And Jesus, in his three-year time that he ministered, most of it was done there. Most of the parables that we read in the Bible, most of the miracles are from there. Um, one of the days, and there's so much to share, but uh, one of the days we got to go to this little town of Magdala, and it was this thriving uh, fishing village. They believe of about 3,000 people back then, and uh, they've actually uncovered some of the remains of some of the outer homes. Uh, there's a picture here. You'll see of what they've uncovered a little bit. Um, that's just one of the sections there of some of the villages. And then if we zoom in a little closer, this road here is the, what they call the seaway. It was actually the main road running all the way, uh, kind of stretched from, uh, from the Sea of Galilee all the way up north, all the way down towards the, the Mediterranean and all the way down. It was actually the main route that people took um, all the way through. And you can actually, throughout Israel, discover this road. This is the original road, the road that Jesus would have walked on. Um, and it's Wait, don't jump ahead. <laughs> the original road <laughs> Jesus walked on. Um, Shane Dana has got a big job today because there's a lot of photos. <laughs> She's like, <laughs> um, to get them all in order. But uh, so this is the little town of Magdala, and that's the, 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 the main trading route, the, the kind of the route that people would take. And these villages were normally about 30 kilometers apart because it would, it would be the about of kilometers that people could typically walk within a day. There's so much we learned just from an information point of view. I mean, these people walked everywhere. It was crazy, but they could travel about 30 Ks a day. So they made sure, just like we have our engine one stops and things <laughs> along the road, you know, uh, they had like these little towns and villages that were built around some of the stops of the seaway. Then what's fascinating about this town of Magdala, there was actually a like this funny little beach hotel there for many, many years. And there was this priest who had this dream after hearing a vision from his mom, uh, uh, Mary, where she clearly felt and heard God say, Maria, that's how you would have said Mary, uh, you know, in, in those days, from God, and shared the story to her son, who's this Catholic priest. And he had this dream uh, to go to Magdalene and actually purchase a piece of land. And over, over the years and through donations, he purchased three pieces of land and he wanted to build like a, a, a hotel there and like a, a chapel and just right on the Sea of Galilee. But before he could actually build, this is only in 2009, okay? This is only like 13 years ago. He had to get special permission to build, but they have to send in the archaeologists, um, the Israel government do that and do a little bit of digging around to make sure that he's not going to build and mess up any rooms that are potentially there. Well, what's fascinating, 30 centimeters below the surface of the ground, which is only this high, they do their first dig and they hit this piece, which is the next photograph, which is the Magdala stone, which was um, discovered by chance. And this, they believe, was a, a piece of stone that would have been in the temple where they would have read the Torah from. There's only one, this is one of seven synagogues or temples that had been uncovered in the whole of Israel. And by chance, they uncover this, which put a halt to the, 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 this idea of a hotel. And they actually had to rebuild and restructure. There was actually going to be a chapel right there. They, uh, I'll show you the chapel a little later. But they had to rework the way that they were going to do this building. And this is a Magdala stone. And it was the first thing that they discovered in this little town of Magdala. And what's interesting, if you look at the stone, um, you can see um, 
you can see the, um, I don't know if you can see it from this one, but they had the, the candles, the menorah, and then they had the palm trees. And what's fascinating is they believe whoever the, the rabbi was or the, the high priest at this particular synagogue would have been pretty high up and would have actually seen Herod's temple. Because if you look at 1 Kings 6.32, it says these double doors were decorated with carvings of cherubim, palm trees, and open flowers. The doors, including the direct decorations of cherubim and palm trees, were overlaid with gold. No WhatsApp in those days to send a quick picture. So this guy who was probably the head of this little synagogue had been into Jerusalem and actually seen, come back, drawn what he had seen, and then got someone to carve out this piece of stone which is quite incredible. I mean, this is a couple hundred kilometers away from Jerusalem. So um, it was just fascinating how to tie it in with a whole bunch of things. But I want to show you a couple pictures of the temple that they uncovered, or the synagogue, where they would have had church like we do today. And um, you can see there they had a little bit of an outer court. Um, then the, 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 This was the place where the boys would uh, be taught the scriptures. Um, I'll zoom in on that stone in a moment. Uh, this, is, this was 30 to 50 centimeters underground. Never been touched, never been uncovered until 2009. They, there was original mosaic on the floor. This is a synagogue from the time of Jesus. It's incredible. Um, and that would have been the center area. He has a little bit of a video, just zooming in there. I mean, it's amazing how it's been preserved. It was just underground. There's some of the columns and the pillars because this town had been destroyed at some stage. The Romans destroyed a lot of stuff back then. That's a replica in the middle, by the way, of that Magdala stone because they've got the original in a museum somewhere. Um, but this is what the inside of a temple would have looked like. And then this was another piece of stone which would have been in a little outer court where they would do, uh, the rabbis would teach uh, the, the young boys. They would come and learn the, the scriptures uh, from young through to kind of midday. And if you notice the little grooves on the outside of the stone, they believe this is where the, the, the Torah scrolls would have sat on. And the, the reason why it was grooved is so that they didn't obviously roll off. So pretty fascinating seeing this stuff. They even found coins dated back to the time of Jesus. You can see Tiberius would have been uh, minted in Tiberius. But the date um, uh, is, was dated back. They found it in one of the side rooms of the, of the synagogue. This is a coin that uh, they would have used at the time of Jesus. Pretty fascinating. Um, so one of seven have only been uncovered in Israel. And um, one of the things that I said I'll come back to is the seat. If you notice, uh, around the synagogue, they had like these uh, concrete benches. And um, the, our guide, Baruch, was telling us that most of the time when they would teach, they would actually sit. So I'm going to start sitting from now. No, I'm kidding. I'm not always going to sit. But uh, I have sometimes sat. But most of the time, they would actually sit and then discuss the Scriptures. And if you see in Matthew 5, it says, One day, as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up to the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him. In Luke 2, 46, it says, Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious leaders, teachers, listening and, and asking them and, and asking them questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. So a lot of the time when they actually um, were teaching in these synagogues or when Jesus taught, they would sit down and they would have a discussion, kind of like a home group. Um, and there would be a lot of opportunity for people to um, talk and ask questions. So imagine it was a little bit like that. I mean, it could be a little bit challenging to get through a message, though, if, if people kept asking questions. And I'm going to come to that a little later. Um, but most of the time they were sitting. And that particular synagogue that you've just seen there is a synagogue that Jesus would have 99% uh, have been in and taught in and spoken in. Isn't that incredible? Uh, because he said that he had taught in all the synagogues. And there's not many of them on that section of the Sea of Galilee. It's close to where Jesus was from. Now, um, I want to get to the main part of my message today and why I'm starting with this. Um, it's pretty fascinating. But when we, uh, we, we see the word Mary in the Bible, or Maria, as they would have said, there, there, many times we see that word. I mean, Jesus' mother was Mary. Uh, his, the, the, there were many people called Mary. It was quite a common name in those days, okay? And uh, Jesus would have ministered and taught to even Mary Magdalene or Magdalene or Magdala, who is from that particular town. And off the back of Mother's Day, which was last week, um, heard Colin's message, and I hope it really brought encouragement to you to take courage. But I felt like to continue a little bit of that theme, particularly for, for women here today. And I know, men, you can get something out of this as well today. But this is 
pretty significant and powerful. Two things. One is, and it might not have been in that specific synagogue, but Jesus was very intentional with um, the way that he connected with women. And we've always understood the role of a woman, particularly here in our church. And um, my parents started the church to lead it together. And, and I think there's no issues when it comes to that. But I mean, we still seeing that unfold in churches across the world where some people don't believe that the women have a role within the church. But when it hit me more than ever, looking at the time of Jesus, how significant this, was all, this all was. So picture Jesus sitting in that temple, okay? And it says here, one Sabbath day, this is in Luke 13, as Jesus was teaching in the synagogue, okay, he saw a woman who had been crippled by an evil spirit, okay? Either she walked past and he saw through or she was inside. I, read, I did a lot of reading for this particular message today, but they even believe that the woman were uh, in those times of Jesus, were part of what was going on. They weren't necessarily educated and they weren't taught to read the, the, the Torah, but they were integrated into that community life. And you're going to see as we look at Mary Magdalene as well. But it says she had been bent over, doubled down for 18 years and was unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over. This is, this is like unheard of. I mean, this is in the middle of the teaching and in the discussion he called her over and he says, dear woman, that's a term of endearment. They put that dear woman. It wasn't, a, um, yeah, it's not like how we would just say dear, but it was a, a really, a, it was a deep term of affection. Dear woman, you are healed of your sickness. He just speaks these words in the middle of his message and then he touched her and instantly she could stand straight. How she praised God. How would we praise God if we had to see that in front of our eyes today. I think it would be pretty exciting. But you can picture this woman is tormented, bent over, and he calls her across, just touches her, and she just stands up dead straight. Isn't that incredible? And you could see how he was intentional with this. And he didn't really care about what culture said at the time, but he was super intentional. So I want to look at um, Mary Magdalene. I think if I mention that name, some of you have heard of it before. Maybe you go, oh, yeah, who was she again? I think she was one of, like, hang around Jesus a bit. Maybe she was at the crucifixion. Is that about right? I've asked a few of you guys, if I say Mary Magdalene, what that means to you. And that's kind of some of the comments that I've got back. But there is so much more than that that I wanted to kind of teach you today. Because there's so many characters in the Bible that can teach us so much. Obviously, Jesus being the main character, but there's so much interaction they had with so many people that just speaks so much. And I'm really trusting that today, um, God's going to speak to you. So I want to look at Mary Magdalene. Let's first look at uh, who was she. Who, uh, she was uh, uh, from Magdala, Magdalene, so that, that's why they actually call her Mary Magdalene or Magdala, which means basically like, if, if I had to say, Scotty the Durbanite. Okay, uh, Mary the Magdalene. Okay, they, they would use that to distinguish people. Uh, it wasn't her surname, but it was where she was from. Okay, because Mary was also a very common name, uh, they used that in the Bible. Okay, um, and it was used to distinguish her from other Marys. Okay, now Mary Magdalene is mentioned, um, her name is mentioned 12 times in the Gospels. Probably mentioned more than any other individual in the Gospels, a lady, okay? Mentioned more than some of the apostles, okay? And more than the other woman in all the Gospels, other than Jesus' family, which was Mary, her mom, his mom. But look at this. Luke 8, verse 1. Soon afterward, Jesus began a tour of the nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. He took his 12 disciples with him, along with some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Okay, so he's going to do a little tour around the Sea of Galilee, taking a team with him. Okay, among them were Mary Magdalene, notice the order, from whom he had cast out seven demons. So we're looking at who, who she was first. Okay, we get a little bit of insight into who she was as well, right at the crucifixion in Mark 16, verse 9. It says, after Jesus rose from the dead early on the Sunday morning, and I'm going to get back to this later, the first person who saw him was Mary Magdalene, the woman from whom he had cast out seven demons. So this was a woman with a troubled past. 
I don't know if you guys have watched the Chosen series. I think it's in episode one. Okay, that's who we're talking about, Mary Magdalene, okay? She had had some major deliverance. I don't know, in those days when people were uh, tormented by demons, it would cause serious physical and psychological illness for people. They were outcasts, they couldn't function properly. And for Mary to be noted twice, that she, she, there were seven times, it was seven demons, so she maybe had been delivered seven times, or in, in, uh, in Jewish culture, the number seven meant uh, completeness. So maybe she was under complete control of the enemy. Does that make sense? So this is a woman that could not function in everyday life. She was hugely tormented, outcast people probably very uh, scared of her. Um, she, she just had a, had a bit of a rough past. But we also see about her that she was pretty significant in the community, either before her being tormented or um, maybe afterwards. But I want to look at, so first of all, that's who she is. Um, secondly, what was her role? So what are the roles she played in the Bible? Look at what Luke 8, 2. So I'm going to read verse 2 again there. It says, along with some of the women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases, among them were Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons, Joanna, the wife of Chaza, Chusa, I don't know how you say that, Herod's business manager, Susanna, and many others who were contributing from their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. Now don't miss this, because maybe some of you have never seen this before. Mary with Susanna, okay, and Joanna, were there to contribute, support, and resource the ministry of Jesus. Now, how often do we hear of business groups within churches that are, bulk, you know, the bulk is men and in business? But here we see three women that were very specifically mentioned, and the order is very important as well. Mary was mentioned first meaning that she was the most significant contributor to the work and the ministry of Jesus. Kind of like when you see ingredients on the side of a, a bottle or something. I remember Jin once telling me, she says the ingredients on the side are the order of a quantity. So like if you're having a drink, it says water, and then second to water, what is it normally? Sugar. I was like, impossible. How can sugar be the second most thing that I'm drinking? And I kind of argued with her a bit, and eventually I believed her. But the, the, the ingredients is the order of quantity in that particular thing that you're either eating or drinking. And it is the same here in the Bible. It was the order of significance and potentially of resource contribution in terms of, me, of being mentioned. Okay, we won't do that at our church, start mentioning people who are part of our church in order of how much they give, okay? So don't stress about that. But uh, I'm just showing you something here. And their role was to contribute to resource. Now you've got a whole bunch of people, there's a big group of people, potentially around 20 people doing ministry. Okay, we have about 15 staff here at Kloof, okay? And they, they needed to be supported. They needed to be housed. They needed to be put in hotels. They needed to be fed. Now we just did a mission trip to Lesotho and there was a budget that we pulled together. People contributed towards this budget and we were able to go and do mission, mission work up there and that's how we were able to do it. It's the same here. But what's fascinating is Mary was the biggest contributor. So if you're a lady sitting here today and go, I'm not quite sure like what my role is in the kingdom of God, kind of, we, we, I know it's changed a lot in five to 10 years, but typically, you know, men have been at the prominence of, of, of business and kind of even within church organizations and structure, that needs to change. Any woman gonna be stirred a little bit here this morning because we see it in scripture, Okay. And since Mary was listed as first, she was the woman who, who supported Jesus' ministry financially more than any others. And what does that tell us about Mary? She was potentially very wealthy because she is mentioned first. She was very important. And our guide in Israel, who's a, a Ukrainian, grew up Jewish, um, living in Jerusalem now, his, it's just a theory for him, but he feels that potentially Mary owned the town because the town was even named after her. Pretty influential in the town. And I don't know what point that she was um, uh, possessed, um, you know, but 
maybe, you know, she had gone completely, of course, uh, used her wealth and her influence, and the devil had got a hold of her. I'm not sure of all the context of that, but all we know is that she was quite, sig- well, very significant in the ministry of Jesus, okay? And he believes potentially owned the town. So here at this little town of Magdala that they've uncovered this synagogue, they've actually built this incredible chapel. Um, you can see it there. It overlooks the Sea of Galilee, which is really special. And we had quite a special moment in there and uh, an opportunity just for the ladies that were on the tour with us just to minister and pray for them and got an opportunity to pray for our wives and really pray the significance of this moment to be imparted. And that's my hope is for you. If you're a lady here today, or not even just a lady, but if you're feeling like unqualified or I don't know if I can or what society tells me I am, you need to get your minds shifted this morning because God wants to use you. And Mary was significantly used within the ministry of Jesus. Pretty much, potentially, the fact that we're sitting here today is hugely contributed to the fact that Mary supported the ministry of Jesus. And then I took a photo of Jin here at the, one of the pillars, which is to honor the different women that served uh, uh, Jesus' ministry. And there's a photo of Jin under the pillar of Mary Magdalene, which is pretty special. So not only was she there to support financially, but she was also there to support emotionally. Because how many of you know you need some moms around? Is that right? Normally when, uh, you know, I don't know like if it's like that for you, but the teenage boys, you know, Jude's phoning Jin, you know, mom. Mom, maybe one day he'll phone me as well. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but when you need some emotional support, I know when he went through a bit of a challenging year last year for a few things, I had to tell him to stop phoning mom, phone me, because, uh, yeah, because then they would both cry. Um, <laughs> But, but Mary was um, not only there to contribute financially and to resource this ministry as they travel all around Israel, and it takes uh, funding to, to travel, but she was there, I believe, to support emotionally. A lot of these women are there to just to nurture and encourage Jesus because he needed encouragement. I mean, think about the time, the night before he died. Guys, standing in the Garden of Gethsemane it was pretty powerful as well and quite significant. I had a bit of a moment there. Um, but, um, you know, he, he asked his friends to pray while, while, keep watch and pray while he went off and prayed. And he came back and they were sleeping. And he was pretty disappointed. He was like, you know, can you guys not just stay awake just for one moment? Yeah, I'm about to be crucified and you guys are falling asleep. And he, he actually needed them. He needed them to support him emotionally at the time as he was sweating blood. He was fully human, you know, although God fully human, and he was pretty nervous about what was going to happen to him. And he needed that human interaction. So we look at Mary supporting Jesus emotionally. Now look at this, and I said I'd come back to the, at the time of, of the crucifixion. In Luke 23, verse 48, it says this, And when all the crowd that came to see the crucifixion saw what had happened, they went home in deep sorrow. But Jesus' friends including the woman who had followed him to Galilee. You see, because in those days, a lot of time they didn't mention the woman. So they would say, when Jesus fed the 5,000, 5,000 men and women and children. So potentially there were 10 to 15,000 people that he actually fed. And by the way, just, did we, oh, I didn't show the pics of Sea of Galilee. Oh, can you just quick, it's maybe important to show them now. Um, guys, standing at the Sea of Galilee was just incredible. So where Jesus fed the 5,000 was probably on the right-hand side there, and it says that his disciples got on the boat to go to Capernaum, which is top left there, and Jesus just caught up with them on the water. So I was like, I'm looking at the potential place where Jesus walked on the water. It's pretty powerful. There's a photo Jin took of the Sea of Galilee. There's something special about this place, really. It's amazing. Um, that's the Sower's Cove. Anyone remember my Four Soils uh, series that I did, was it last year? And they believe that Jesus was put out in a boat and he taught from this boat. There's this natural amphitheater cove and that's the Sower's Cove. So it was nice to go there. This is on the Sea of Galilee. And I think there's a little bit of a video when we were on the Sea of Galilee. This boat. played worship music and it was just, it was pretty powerful. There was lots of tears. lot to take in, but that was just beautiful being there. Um, so there was a sidetrack there. So uh, they often mentioned just the men, but here they very specifically mentioned, but Jesus' friends, including the woman who had followed him from Galilee. So this is Mary, and they stood at a distance watching. Do you know why? Well, maybe you've never understood why. Why do you think they stood at a distance watching the crucifixion? 
particularly the woman, because most people were crucified naked and they didn't want to embarrass Jesus, so they stood at a distance out of respect for him. Pretty powerful, hey? And as they stood at a distance and watched, now these women had traveled uh, from where they were to Jerusalem is about 180 kilometers, just by the way, on foot. That's like from Kloof to Richards Bay or Kloof to South Broome or maybe Kloof to Escort. I had to mention Escort for Dan, who's in the studio recording this right now. Uh, Escort never gets a mention for any other reason. But anyway, so Kloof to Escort is about the distance that they traveled um, to Jerusalem to support him. And then I just want to look at John 19, which is... Um, one of the other accounts. I'm gonna look at the four gospels showing the, where Mary was mentioned as emotional support. Standing near the cross where Jesus' mother, where Jesus' mother and his mother's sister Mary, told you Mary was a common name, uh, the wife of Clappus uh, uh, and Mary Magdalene. Again, mentions her very specifically. Now, after that in John, none of the disciples were actually at the crucifixion except for John because John mentions himself as the one whom Jesus loved. Remember, we spoke about that in the Three Nails series. I don't know if the women were just braver than the men, possibly, <laughs> um, or maybe they were less likely to be arrested, uh, but none of the other disciples were at the crucifixion. Just John and the woman that were there to support him. Pretty powerful. They were there to support and care for him. Look at what Matthew says, the same account, Matthew 27, 55. And many women who had come from Galilee with Jesus to care for him were watching from a distance. Among them were... Mary Magdalene, mentioned first again. Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee. And then again in Mark 15, so you've got the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John give an account of the life of Jesus and they all overlap and give different detail. Look at what Mark says. Some women were there watching from a distance, including Mary Magdalene, mentioned first again. Mary, the mother of James, the younger, and, and, and of Joseph, and of uh, Salmon, they had been followers of Jesus and had cared for him while he was in Galilee. Many other women who had come with him to Jerusalem were also there. So there were many other women that traveled along, but Mary Magdalene, again, mentioned first. There's something significant about this woman. And I just want to say, don't let anyone tell you that women don't play a significant role in the church. I know it's not a unique concept to us as a church, but let me tell you, there's many churches where a statement like that would be considered heresy. But when I look at the scriptures and what I see and with what I've been taught, there was a hugely significant role women played in the life of Jesus. Would you agree? I don't know how they haven't seen this. And for us as a church, just want you to know, we've always been pro this, that women have a significant role within the church. Now, I know some of you may have questions. Well, why does Paul say women must be silent in church and all those things? That's a whole teaching in itself. My mom's done many teachings on that. But just to throw out just a couple things, just so you understand. Remember, women weren't necessarily educated. They weren't taught to read the scrolls. And like I said in the beginning, many times the rabbis were interrupted with questions. And what Paul was saying is, as Jesus embraced, you neither male nor field, female, Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, young or old, he embraced everyone. And as there was this huge influx of woman into this idea of, of Jesus, there, you can imagine there would have been many questions. And what he was saying is, just save the questions. Just, just don't, don't shout them out now because there's a lot of understanding that they needed to still get. It's like the, the boys were taught the Torah, but they hadn't been taught. So now all of a sudden, as, as women were being embraced, they had a lot of questions. Are you with me? So that's why he said rather wait for afterwards or, or particularly the culture of those days they would ask questions to their husbands when they got home when it came to the Torah. So that's why he would say that. Also, even in synagogues today, we went into a modern one where the woman still sits separately to the men. Uh, I'm not sure about in, in those times and some of the reading that I've did that at times of Jesus, what it would have been like because they didn't necessarily have a lot of galleries and bulkies or to, to do that. But in today's world, the women and the children sit upstairs in a gallery. And uh, sometimes, as you know, if we, we hear the noise coming from kids' church, you know, it's like they're, they're making a bit of noise. Hey, can you just keep it down a bit? So that could be some of the context of why Paul said what he did. It wasn't to silence women for them never to speak within church. Just so you're clear on that. So, last point. Are you learning something today? I really hope that you are, and I hope it's it kind of starting to, I'm sure it's gonna stir many questions 
in your heart. So that, that was her role. And then I want to end off with this is why or, or what she's remembered for. And this for me is the most significant thing. And I'm really hoping that it would stir your hearts today. There's two significant reasons that Mary's remembered. And the first is this, that Jesus chose to appear to her first. Now, I did preach about this in our Easter series. Remember I said that he chose to appear to Mary Magdalene first. She was broken. She was hurt. She was upset. She was actually crying. Do you remember that at the time? And God wants to make appearances to the brokenhearted. Do you remember that in the Easter series? But Jesus chose to appear to her first. He could have appeared to anyone first, but he chose Mary first. I think there's something in that. Really, there is. Where culture, and even still today, where women are still hectically suppressed, Jesus appears to her first, chooses her first. And I've got a couple pics and videos from the garden tomb where they believe that Jesus would have been married. He says he was not married, Jesus would have been buried. They believe that it, it says that they put him in a rich man's tomb because obviously he didn't have his own tomb in Jerusalem. And typically wealthy people would have tombs carved into the stone and that they would bury multiple family members there. They would keep them there for a year, then they would actually take them out and then throw the, bone, or throw the bones away, but they would be in the tomb for a while. And um, one of the followers of Jesus asked, if they could bury Jesus in the tomb. And it lines up with scripture because it's, it's pretty close to what, what they believe Golgotha was. Now, I wanna show you a quick picture. Um, no, yeah, that. Looking towards, so this is just north of Jerusalem. North, so when you look at the timelines as well in the Bible, um, this is pretty significant. Is looking, to, there's this little like hill area. Uh, by the way, a crucifixion's never happened on a hill. It's amazing how we've been taught all this stuff. It would have just been on the side of the road to actually humiliate and embarrass people. But we see all these pictures with Jesus on the hill. Uh, they believe it would have been below the hill. Um, but this is looking towards what they call Golgotha, the place of the skull. Now, you can't see it from this picture, but from that picture, you can actually see why they call it Golgotha. If you go back to the, my picture before that, if you look to the right, you can actually, I'm, I'm not from the right angle here because you can't actually get there anymore, uh, but you can see the two shapes of the eyes. Go back to the other picture of Golgotha. But that's why they call it the place of the skull. So they believe Jesus would have been crucified right there on the road, on the side of the road to humiliate them. That's just what they would do. And this is really close. It's a, it's a couple minutes walk from the barracks, actually where they held Jesus on the north side of Jerusalem. Um, and then next to that, literally within walking distance, a uh, couple hundred meters, is this tomb, which they believe is the tomb that Jesus would have been buried, that they've actually had to fix some of it there. Um, and going into this tomb, and when um, it says when Peter and John, they walked in and they looked in, uh, and then they saw, that it was quite powerful being there. This is potentially the tomb where Jesus was buried. I think there's a little bit of a video as well. Um, Being there was special. I don't know, we're not 100% sure that it was the exact place, but it was like, if this is the place, it's, it's something we're celebrating, and I think there's a picture of Jin celebrating <laughs> as she does, uh, jumping out of the tomb. Jesus is alive. But isn't that powerful? But I want to uh, pick up, uh, I've got about six minutes left. I want to pick up the, the piece, the scripture here um, of Jesus appearing to Mary first year and being in this garden um, there's a garden there and the tomb's there and Golgotha's there. You can kind of sense and feel about the place that this is where it happened. There's a lot of other things in Jerusalem that are actually become pretty hectic and quite sad. It's like idol worship where they come and rub the stone and believe where Jesus is buried, but it's, it's quite sad actually. There's a lot of people, Christians from all around the world, they go there like it's almost like idol worship. It's, it's pretty hectic. But I want to pick up the story here in Mark 16. It says, Saturday evening when Shabbat ended, now, even being in Jerusalem uh, in Israel, I understood this whole Shabbat thing because he was buried uh, on a Friday and for 24 hours, you're not allowed to do anything. I mean, in the hotel that we stayed in, you can't even, you can't even push the buttons of the lift. They just stop at every floor because you can't use any technology to help you. So a lot of uh, wealthy Jewish people go check into hotels for, the, for Shabbat so they don't have to do anything. They're not allowed to use cell phones, not allowed to do anything. Actually, in fact, I was, we were about to get into bed and I had a knock on my door and there were the three young Jewish guys, and they were like, they don't have their key card. 
So I said, well, go downstairs like I did because mine didn't work and get it recoded. They said, they can't, it's Shabbat. So I'm like, well, how are you going into your room? He says, I need to come through your room and climb over the balcony. I'm like, <laughs> I promise you, it was 11 o'clock at night and this kid comes, I didn't know what to do. Like I felt sorry for the guy. So I let him come through. Jin's like getting, you know, dressed into jammies there. And it's like, this guy comes through, but so quick, he jumped over the balustrade, which is like 12th story. I go out there, I'm like, bro, what are you, you're going to die here, man. And he got in through his front door and let his mates in. But Shabbat, everything shuts down. Can't cook, can't do anything. I mean, it was quite mind-blowing. But now I understand, Saturday evening when Shabbat ended, that's why they didn't do anything before that. Mary Magdalene, again, mentioned first, Mary, the mother of James, and uh, Salome went out and purchased burial spices so that they could anoint Jesus' body. So this is, it was, they went out as soon as the shops opened, and then very early Sunday morning, after Shabbat had all finished, just at sunrise, you can imagine them rushing to the tomb, which is just north of the city. On the way, they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Because it was a massive stone that was put in place. But as they arrived, they looked up and saw the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled to the side. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in white robes sitting on the right side. That's why they feel it, it, it matches the description, because when you come into this tomb, it's to the right side. The woman was shocked, but the angel said, don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He isn't here. He has risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now go and tell the disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you before he died. After Jesus rose from the dead early on Sunday morning, the first person who saw him was Mary Magdalene. The woman from whom he had cast out seven demons. That's bringing that scripture back into context. She went to the disciples who were grieving and weeping and told them what had happened. But, that, but when she told them that Jesus was alive and she had seen him, they didn't believe her. They thought she was actually crazy. So Jesus chose to appear to her first, hugely significant. But then the other thing that she is remembered for, and that why we're even speaking about it today, is that I believe that she was the first apostle. The word apostle means someone who carries the Christian message to the world. That's what apostle means. After Jesus rose, it says, um, well, Jesus told her to go and share the good news with the disciples, Okay. Um, the Pope actually recently in 2016 clarified a lot of this misunderstanding around Mary. There was a whole much stuff around her uh, saying that he believes that you know, she was an apostle to an apostle. Because look at what John 20 verse 1 says. This is now another account. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. Remember I shared about this at Easter. She said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying and as she wept, she stooped, in, uh, she stooped and looked in. And that's very, when you have to go into the tombs, well, you have to like duck down and, and look into the right. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angel asked her. Because they have taken my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. And she was coming there to anoint him with the spices. And then um, she says, yeah, she turned to leave and saw someone standing there. Okay, it was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her, who are you looking for? And she thought, because the, there was a garden right there that, that Jesus was a gardener who had arrived early on the Sunday morning to work. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him. She was a little bit frantic here. Where have you put my Lord? And I'll go and get him. And this is what is so powerful. Even standing in that moment, Jesus says, Maria. She turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which means teacher or doctor or master. The rabbis were... Uh, that's what they were. But Rabboni was uh, <clears throat> even beyond that. It was, it was more than that. And, and then Mary obviously just clings to Jesus. 
but she recognizes his voice as he says her name. And Jesus says, for I haven't yet ascended, or don't cling to me because I haven't yet ascended to the Father, but go find my brothers and tell them, the apostle to the apostles, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And then Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. Then she gave them this message. Isn't that incredible? There's some stuff that I'd never seen before and just being there and experiencing and seeing just speaks so much. And I told you I wanted to teach you today. But in closing, I want you to know that God will use anyone, even a demon-possessed woman. It doesn't matter your limitation. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter your disability, your fear, your disadvantage, your setback, or your poor decision. God will use anyone, even a woman. And I don't say that in a derogatory way. I'm trying to encourage women to take their stand in what, what we see here from the Word of God. Because so often it's women that kind of step back for things. And I know culture has shifted more recently, but don't ever allow anyone or society or anything to push you back. Because with what we see here in the Word, you can see Mary was hugely prominent. God elevated her, God used her. She is remembered for Jesus appearing to her first and she's remembered as the first messenger of the risen Jesus to the other apostles and most of them didn't even believe her. And I love that the Bible speaks about God, says remember the least of these or we see in the Bible it says the last shall be first. And my encouragement to you today as I close is God wants to use you to make a significant impact on this world. And Mary would never have thought 2,000 odd years later that we'd be talking about her today in a service. But my encouragement to you as we look at this character in the Bible, one of so many that we can be inspired by, that would allow us today, regardless of who you are, and this, as I said, it's not just for women, for women, it's for men as well, to dream again, to believe that God has a significant role and purpose for you on this earth and to be used in the kingdom of God. And all it takes is just being available, opening up your hands. As Mary did, she opened up her life. She opened up her resources. She opened up her whatever was in her hand. And I love that this ties in even with what we've been speaking about with the Trans-Africa Challenge. As John, who's sitting here today, used what was in his hand. He was a cyclist gather some people together, connected with a few people in the financial industry and the first Rand Trans-Africa adventure started and 10 years later raised millions towards Nganami Children's Village for the Education Fund. Isn't that incredible? Just use what's in your hand. It doesn't matter who you are, but God wants to use you. And I don't want you to be impressed or inspired by the details of what I've given or what, what you've seen or the pictures because that is inspiring. But more than anything, being in that place, seeing it, there was a deposit in, in my heart around this. And God really just confirmed so many things. And I'm hoping today that it would have made a significant impact on you, just like Mary made a significant impact on the life of Jesus. And as God makes a significant impact on you this morning, I believe that you can make a significant impact in the world. Do you believe it? If you believe it, let's pray. Maybe you can even put up your hand as a sign of affirmation and belief. Say, God, use me. Use me, Lord, in any way that you please. Lord, I repent of my insecurities and every reason why that I can't be used by you. I repent from a lying society and culture to put me in a box or tell me what I am or am not. Lord, I pray that you bring healing to many people here today. Those fears, those insecurities, those words of I can't, or even hearing words from other people say that you will never. I break the power of those words today in Jesus' name over every person. Whatever the limitation is, whatever the disadvantage is, 
I break those words in Jesus' name. And as we've been inspired by the story of Mary today, and we see the significant impact that she made in the life of Jesus, it inspires and encourages us today, God. It doesn't matter what society or culture tells us, but God, you wanna use your people, people that have a heart to serve you. And we see that in Mary's heart just to nurture and to support and to care and to resource. God, I pray right now in the name of Jesus, by your spirit, that you would come and deposit creative ideas within people here. Right now in Jesus' name, creative ideas to make an impact on this world that we can help and support and encourage those that don't know you, God. I pray for business strategy in both men and women in the mighty name of Jesus. We think of this marketplace gathering that has started on Friday. I just thank you for what you're doing there and the significant deposit that is taking place. But now, Lord, we ask for abundance. We ask for increase. We ask for fruitfulness out of that, Lord Jesus. As people say, use what's in my hand, God. Holy Spirit, would you come and do a deep work in our heart. Bring healing, Lord Jesus, where healing is needed right now. You're doing a deep work in people's hearts today. Thank you, Jesus. I really feel there's, there's a couple ladies here today that have been trodden on, walked over, minds manipulated, messed with. And as I'm saying these things, you're going, that's me. Been made to feel small, insignificant, not worth anything. And I'm even talking about the business sector here, feeling like you're not good enough. You've had belittling laughs at you. I sense God doing a deep work in your heart right now, in Jesus' name. Bring healing, Lord. As we've been inspired by the stories today, bring healing. I'm gonna speak this over you today. Nothing can hold you back. What God has purposed for you will come to pass in Jesus' name. Even in your heart right, right now, as painful as it is, is, just bring release, bring forgiveness, just release. And we're gonna take communion in a moment. And as you do that, the word very clearly says you've got to forgive others as you are yourself being forgiven. And that might be hard to do, but just let there be a release today as we identify with what Jesus did for us on the cross. And as we've spoken about Jesus and even crucifixion, I know it was Easter recently and um, it's still in our thoughts and in our heart. But as we take communion today, we wanna do it once a month where we take a significant moment to do that. We're gonna take communion. And as you take the communion, you are partnering with Jesus. As you take the bread, as you take the grape juice, you're recognizing God's grace over your life, His enabling presence over your life to be who He's called you to be and to do what He's called you to do. There's nothing that can hold you back. The enemy has tried, but he won't because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Is that right, friends? Thank you, Jesus. So what we're gonna do is we kind of wrap up the service and I don't wanna rush this moment. I know it's 28 minutes past 10. And we like to finish by half past band are going to just play a chorus. Can you come and take communion? And uh, you can take it up here. You can take it back to your seat. Let's just give a couple minutes to do that. I think there's some at the back as well. I think someone will bring to you guys upstairs. But can we take communion? So Lord, as we take communion today, we are reminded of what you've done for us, the victory won for us, the impartation. And as we recognize with that today, thank you, Jesus, for your love shown towards us, for what you did for us, the forgiveness that you have shown us. And now, God, as we take today, we forgive others so that we can be free and all that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So just come and take. So make me a vessel, make me an offering, make me 
whatever you want me to be God I came here with nothing but all you have given me Jesus bring new life out of me make me make me your vessel make me an offering today. Um, there is uh, guest centrals open for those who are visiting us for the first time today. We'd love to connect with you after the service. Again, the service is on tonight, 6pm. If you want to invite someone back or you're like, man, this person needs to hear this tonight, you can bring them back. It's also online as well and you can, it's been recorded there. Otherwise, have an incredible week, everybody. God bless and go and be Jesus to the people. Cheers.